longer time, I suppose. Welcome to Watchmen Minute, where we're discussing the 2009 Zack Snyder film Watchmen, one minute at a time. I'm Eric Nash from Almost Famous. Minute. <laughs> My name is Travis Bow from the Real Comic Heroes podcast. And I'm David Hayter. I'm a screenwriter who uh, wrote a movie you may fam- be familiar with called Watchmen. I've heard of it. Fantastic. <laughs> Watchman. <laughs> um, yeah, great to have you back. I think one last time uh, for to the end to the end of the week, David. Well, I appreciate that, Eric. That. But I hate to tell you, nothing ever ends. Yes, I'm never going anywhere. He, did it. <laughs> he said the thing. He said the thing that from the guy with the sun. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, no, it's very nice to be back. Always nice to be with you, gentlemen, and a pretty momentous episode. Everything comes full circle. It's been a good ride. Indeed. Uh, so this is Minute 180 here on Friday, and it starts with the editor telling Seymour to run whatever he'd like and ends with second assistant director credit. And Desolation Row, performed by My Chemical Romance, begins playing. And obviously you know um, there's a famous quote in the book from Des- Desolation Row. The uh, at midnight, all the agents and superhuman crew go out and round up everyone who knows more than they do, and it's uh, such a uh, an amazing illustration of theme chosen by Alan Moore, and then such a badass cover by My Chemical Romance <laughs> that I have now learned to play on guitar and sing at nice. home, uh, much to my neighbor's chagrin. <laughs> I was just going to say the first chapter of Watchmen was at midnight. All the agents, or forget right. if it's paraphrased, or, or starts and ends that first chapter, and yeah, it takes us out of the movie um, appropriately, I think. And it and it doesn't quite start with him, with the editor telling Seymour to grab the uh, whatever he wants out of the crank file. It starts with Seymour talking about the possibility of Ronald Reagan running for <laughs> president and how ridiculous. Um, that sounds to to the editor because nobody wants a cowboy in the White House. And um, that line is from the book. But in the movie, when we made the movie, we had already had uh, George Bush as a cowboy in the White House. So it it took on a double uh, slam of both Reagan and and Bush, (laughs) which I appreciated enormously yeah i guess i was never sure why they went they went with reagan because in the book they say robert redford redford is going to run for president so i I don't know oh that's right in the book it's robert redford right um the joke i think works either way i just don't know why they switched it because um nixon had abolished term limits so nixon was still president Sure. Up until and and I perhaps the implication is, is that Nixon died in the Dr. Manhattan attack, um, oh. so that Reagan didn't have a chance to become president in in 1980. You know, so yeah. he would be waiting in the wings to to come and do this. Obviously, the reference to Robert Redford is to make mm. fun of Reagan being a cowboy actor, um, mm. but I think yeah. I I think I may have changed it myself. Okay, um, because. Uh, because I thought it would be fun to make fun of Bush through the idea of Reagan <laughs> and also to point out how 
ridiculous it would be to have somebody like Ronald Reagan be president. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people loved him, but he was a ridiculous uh, buffoon. And, and um, I wanted to put that into the movie. So that's the, that's the benefit of, of writing on a $150 million movie. You get to, you get to get your point out there in, in, uh, in a pretty big way. I think we definitely appreciate that then. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, you know, and it didn't Robert Redford doesn't have quite the same bite as sure, as, sure. Um plus you can also say, you know, because Reagan was such a um nuclear warrior, you know, he you know, saw the the largest run up in nuclear weapon uh, competition between Russia and, and the states. So the idea that he might be coming as president also indicates that storm clouds are still on the horizon and mm. in a way that Robert Redford really does because he seems like <laughs> sure. a fairly decent dude. Well, and my, my, my actual first note question here is Nixon not running is not running again. And then I say, you know, Reagan as Republican or Democrat mm. though. I mean, you know, it's <clears throat> because, because if Nixon were alive, mm. I mean, you know, I, I think there's, that's, that seems a little debatable, but, but, it would it would almost mean that if he were if Nixon were so alive and Reagan is running, then that means Nixon is stepping right. down, is ending, is, is giving up his power that he's had from the from the not you know term limit. Right, which I don't think would ever happen. That or that or Reagan Reagan is trying to primary him out. I don't know. I could I could see the last few scenes that we had with uh with Nixon, it seemed like he was uh-huh. You know, he wasn't the power mad, you know, nuke them all and mm-hmm. ask questions later. Like, you know, he was I, I think this whole arms race, basically, he learned that he didn't want to ever be in that position again, probably. So I could see him stepping down mm-hmm. after this this mm-hmm. fifth term. I think that's an interesting theory, but I don't think Nixon was the type of person to learn from anything and especially not especially not the lesson that i i don't want to be in power anymore mm. i i i tend to think that he's dead that he was killed in uh in the attacks and um either that or reagan's trying to primary him or reagan's running mm. as a as a democrat but but that was not yeah. my intention in in terms of having reagan in there <laughs> You know, I think Nixon, I think the point is that Nixon was never going to leave and uh, mm. and would never have left if he didn't have to. Anyway, so that's my that's my sort of take on it. Cool. And then the other the other thing to talk about is, is a little shout out to our one of our movies by minute mm-hmm. brothers is uh, Back to the Future Minute. And oh. The whole uh, Reagan as president is being, you know. Made fun of there and an uh, actor between between <laughs> Marty and Doc. Yeah, I suppose Jack Benny is the Secretary of State. <laughs> um. Yes. <laughs> well. Yeah. Well, things were a little freaky in the eighties, gentlemen. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't the, mm-hmm. the Reagan Reagan wasn't all there, and they were having this incredible nuclear buildup of weapons, and we all, you know, that's a that's a thing that mm-hmm. that. So when I had set the movie in modern day, one of my goals was mm-hmm. to remind people that when this book was written, we all thought we were going to die in nuclear fire at any moment. You know, they, they mm-hmm. kept telling us, you'll have maybe 20 minutes of notice before the world yeah. is wiped out forever. And we, 
we just lived with that all the time. You know, if you listen to songs from the eighties, you know, people are talking, are you going to drop the bomb or not? Are you going to, you know, like all this stuff, it was just always there. It was such a weird, freaky way to live. And then, and then when the Soviet Union collapsed, it all kind of went away, except all the nuclear weapons are still there. So, sure. and it doesn't take many to destroy the entire world, you know, four or five nuclear weapons kicking up enough um, crap into the atmosphere creates nuclear winter and we were all dead. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I was kind—I was kind of happy that Zach put it back to the '80s. I, part of the reason I put it in present day was because I was having a lot of pushback from the studios uh, about it being set in the '80s, and mm. that was one of the few notes that I could do that I felt wouldn't ruin the the material, right? Uh, that I could give them that wouldn't ruin the material. And then Zach was so powerful coming off of 300, they just let him do whatever he wanted, and he said, "No, we're putting it back in the '80s," which I thought was. Which I thought was great, but um, yeah. but at the same time, you know, it's important. Like I think the most important message of this whole book, uh, the movie, is that all of those weapons are still out there, and all you need is one lunatic in the White House to kill us all. Um, I mean, what are the odds we're going to get a lunatic in the White House? But <laughs> you know, we're all, we can all sleep sound that everything's fine. Uh -huh. But sure. Um, but they have the power to destroy the world a thousand times over. And people don't really chat about it anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just so bizarre. And so uh, anyway, so that's, um, that's, the, uh, that's, that's the real beauty of, of the 80s here. And, and, and that's also what Ronald Reagan represented. We all thought he was going to kill us all. Hmm. That's really interesting. I, I didn't, I guess I've never realized... I guess all, all of that with uh, with the fear, I guess, with Reagan. Yeah, well, he, you know, he built up he built up the nuclear arsenal, and then I guess the yeah. argument was that he was kind of spending the Russians into the ground because they felt that mm -hmm. they had to have just as many nuclear weapons, which is so stupid because again, you you don't yeah. need that many to finish right. everybody, and um, so you know the conservatives believe that he spent them into the ground with this nuclear arms race and that's what caused the collapse of the soviet union and maybe it did but it was a pretty risky game to play with the lives sure. of everybody on the planet you know wow and, and travis if you haven't seen it find the uh music video by genesis of land of okay. confusion no it's great yeah we'll have to we'll have to link yeah. that yeah i i might be familiar yeah. i might be familiar with the song but i definitely don't know that I've seen the video. Oh, it's going to freak you out, man. It's, it's <laughs> okay. so oh, yeah. crazy. Uh, anyway, you'll see it and then look up why they, how they made it the way they did and, and all that stuff. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, that really tells the point. There's a lot of, there's, um, there was a song dancing with tears in my eyes. That was all nuclear apocalypse video. Uh, there was the show, there was the movie the week, the morning after that was about impending nuclear Holocaust and all that stuff. We just had to live with it. You know, wow. it so it's just so weird. And, and then it went away in 1991 <laughs> and all the kids <laughs> from the eighties were like, Oh, Oh, it's fine now. Like what, what are you talking about? Man? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a huge, that's a huge element of this, of this book and this piece. And so, yeah, again, Reagan fit a lot better than yeah. Robert Redford. Makes sense now. Yeah. Um, in case anyone isn't aware Reagan was president of the Screen Actors Guild and then governor of California from 67 to 75 and then you know had a presidential thing for a while but uh 
but then had acted had 81 acting credits from 1937 to 1965 yeah many of them with a chimpanzee named bonzo oh yeah um so yeah oh yeah and then the other element of that from the book was when he says robert redford's thinking of running for president it's the the mock-up headline is rr for president in 1988 mm -hmm. and so that was clearly a dig at ronald reagan yeah and and so what i was trying to do was update it to turn it into a dig at george bush that's great another cowboy in the white house and uh and then and then the line that just gives me chills every time you know you know use some use some initiative i leave it entirely in your hands and this guy who can't even keep the ketchup off of his shirt literally <laughs> has the fate of the world in his hands at the end of the thing. And in yeah. the very end, because the story is such a clockwork piece of perfection, it ends with the exact line that opened it. Warshak's mm. journal, 1985, a comedian tonight, a comedian died in New York and everything comes to a perfect, perfect ending. And Warshak has the final word and the world goes back into desperate desperate danger and alan moore is a freaking genius you know what they say about endings no what what do they say well nothing ever ends oh man that's deep you you have i heard that i read that in the book somewhere you have blown my mind <laughs> man. um <laughs> i want to take it back to what the editor says about you know following up what seymour's saying about uh, redford or uh, reagan running, you know, the editor says, you know, Seymour, we don't dignify absurdities with coverage, um, right. which is a great line considering that, you know, this paper that we know is the preferred paper of certain right-wing conspiracy enthusiasts um, right. named Rorschach. Yeah. And then he'll go on to say, uh, he and doesn't specifically say to pull something from the crank file, but he's like, crank file, you know, whatever. So the fact that they have a crank file, which is just whatever people are dropping into their mailbox, you know, the, I guess it's a, I looked up just what, you know, I, I looked up crank file, mm -hmm. but basically got the definition of crank used as in terms of a person. Right. And it's a pejorative term used for a person who holds an unshakable belief that most of his or her contemporaries consider to be false. Mm -hmm. A crank belief is so wildly at variance with those commonly held that it is considered ludicrous. Right. And so for him to say that, you know, we don't we don't dignify the stuff with coverage, but but we'll run the stuff from the crank file whenever we need a story to run. Well, you know why I think that is? I think I mean, I took the line. What is it? We don't justify absurdities with coverage or we don't reinforce it whatever it is it's so it's such a beautifully written line and and i'm i'm sure it comes straight out of the book but i i i would imagine that in the book the editor is saying it because he's referring to robert redford who would be a democrat mm -hmm. yeah and so he's not mm -hmm. saying it's absurd because it couldn't happen he's saying it's absurd because he doesn't believe in it politically mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean that they don't run absurdities in their um in their publication they only run right-wing absurdities right which he wouldn't see as being absurd 
Right, exactly. And, and, and so it's sort of, it's a, it's a kind of, it doesn't have quite the same meaning in this context because he's talking about Ronald Reagan, who a conservative sure. should theoretically love and embrace. Yeah. But again, it's my antipathy for Ronald Reagan showing through um, <laughs> that I have now said that even a conservative would say, oh, no, Ronald Reagan, that's ridiculous. Um, right. So again, I, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of angry <laughs> emails and things because of this, but... Dude, but but for anybody who's angry Damn. about my attitude about Ronald Reagan, try try living under him as president. <laughs> and everybody's like, "Oh, just hide under your desk when the bombs fly." And I'm like, yeah, right. "Okay, that'll be great. That'll work out." Fortunately, the desks were all made of lead and asbestos, yeah. you know. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I think that's the that's the point of the absurdities line. Yeah, and I had that same note, but then uh, my next note was um, you know the totally in your hands. And what I focused on, thought about there was that just that he has really, that the editor has really given yeah. up mm. to let Seymour sure. figure, you know, he's, he's saying it's, it's all yeah, he's just so disgusted with the world. He's got no, you know, he's losing, yeah. they're losing their grip on their audience. There's just nothing to write about. And, and, uh, and then Rorschach gives them the greatest gift in the history of journalism. Right. And uh, the whole thing goes back to zero. So good. I almost said it about, you know, when we're talking about the, you know, whether it was, whether it's the, the smiley face or the clock, both circles that, you know, it's a cyclical thing. And I think that's just, that's just wonderfully mirrored again, both, both book and yeah. movie. Yeah. Good job. Both of you more and hater. And you know, it's so funny. I, it's so funny because people are always like, you know, boy, you wrote that movie. And I'm like, no, I just adapted it from the, from the original book, but there are a lot of little things, you know, talking about it like this, there's a lot of little details that I had to do and that Zach had to do and, and Alex to, to make it work as a movie and, and to frame it properly for today's audiences. So I'm, so thank you for having me on. It's, it's kind of fun to go back and dig out why we, why we made some of the choices we made. Well, and, and as, as, Terry Gilliam, we said before on the show, Terry Gilliam is famous for saying it's unfilmable, <laughs> but I think you guys yeah. proved him wrong. Well, it was it, I, as much as I say, I, I hate to, I, I hate to say it, <laughs> Terry Gilliam. Yeah, I don't think Terry Gilliam's ever been wrong, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's against my that's against my religion to say. But um, you know, well, what I figured out was how to structure it within a two hour and forty five minute time period, which is still way long, but you know, figured out how to structure it and still retain pretty much every badass element of the book without, without ruining it. So, um, and it wasn't easy, you know, I, very often, I think, I mean, I had originally pitched it as a, as a multi-part miniseries for HBO. Mm. Um, that'll never work. Right. But Larry Gordon didn't want to do the producer on the rights. He was like, I don't know TV. I want to do, can you do it as a movie? And so I said, well, I'll try, but it's going to be long. And, um, but fortunately, it, you know, it fits in the, it fits in the frame of an epic and, and the story is epic. And, and so, um, you know, I always get mad at movies that are two hours when they've got like 90 minutes worth of story to them. Sure. But this genuinely has three hours worth of amazing story to it. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's worth being that long and it's worth, I always felt it was worth telling this story. Um, on as big a scale as possible, because I think the, the the ideas and concepts are so important to humanity's survival and 
and so brilliantly it's just such a brilliant analysis of humanity on every level that that i'm really glad that that it did get made and, and that it remained true to the to the source material slavish some would say <laughs> and have yeah. said well, yeah. well we would definitely i know we definitely appreciate all the work that went into making this movie because you know, we wouldn't be doing this uh, this podcast, uh, obviously, without it. So, it, that, Well, you could, but you know, no one would understand what you were talking about. <laughs> right. It'd yeah. be like, that movie doesn't exist. <laughs> what are, you know, they're on minute 180? How long is this going to go? Yeah. You know? there, there is actually one podcast that's doing a minute by minute of a movie that doesn't exist. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah? Which one? It's Well, they already did Glengarry, yeah. Glenn Ross. Uh-huh. But they're doing Glengarry, Glenn Ross Infinite. They're having, uh, uh, I guess, some small, limited AI or of some sort create a movie what? out of thin air. Okay, of, that's the strangest in, in thing a, I ever heard. In a Mamesian kind of way. Huh. Wow, wow! I'm yeah. sure Mamet is thrilled. <laughs> I know my job. Your job's being an asshole. I could do Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross all day, <laughs> oh, wow. but that's the Watchmen minute, so I won't. Wrong show. It's the wrong <laughs> show. Go to lunch. Will you go to lunch? Go to lunch. I'm trying to run an office here. Sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> that's all that I have to say to you. Like I say, I could go on and on, <laughs> but I'll stop now. <clears throat> what else, gentlemen? What else is on your mind? This damn Watchmen minute. A little bit of credits, or are we, are we um, out there yet? I had one quick note about some stuff that I found in the basket along with the uh, with Rorschach's journal. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was trying to look. I couldn't see it on my so phone. So it's uh, – there's this big manila envelope that the his journal's resting on, and it's addressed to Gil Bunch of uh, – it's all in in markers, so it's a little hard to say, but I, I do – I know what sure. it is uh, – what it says, it says twenty seven thirty five Mount Baker Road, Mill Bay, Kansas, seven three nine four two. So I look hmm. up um, the zip code, which is somewhere in Oklahoma. It's not not in Kansas. Um, not in Kansas anymore. I look up uh, Mill Bay, Kansas, and couldn't find a town in Kansas with that name. But I did find a Mill Bay in uh, in British Columbia in Canada. And then I did mm -hmm. a search for Gill Bunch, and I find uh, the T. Gill Bunch Center for Performing Arts at Brentwood College. Hmm. Brentwood, Brentwood <laughs> College is in Mill Bay, uh, Canada. And so I click the button on their website for like their, their Contact Us button, and guess what their address mm -hmm. is? Is it that 2735 Mount Baker Road, Mill Bay, BC. <laughs> so... That's hilarious. So some production designer uh -huh. who went to uh, that yeah, college I think so. gave a shout out. That's so funny. I, so in my movie Wolves, I've got their, uh, the kid goes to the high school. It's the uh, Brandon Boyce Memorial High School. Mm -hmm. And Brandon Boyce is um, like one of my very best friends. He wrote At huh. Pupil and oh, okay. Wicker Park and Bad Samaritan. And so... So I said, hey, I put you in the movie and I showed it to him. But then he realized it was the memorial, the Brandon <laughs> Boyce Memorial High School. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're dead in my universe. <laughs> nice. So it's always it's always fun to throw in those little mm. Easter eggs for your for your friends. Nice. Actually, one other uh, thing, not that we're supposed to be talking about wolves, but um, Go for it. my so he 
at one point my lead character steals this motorcycle and it's a victory Vegas eight ball cruiser motorcycle, which is a beautiful motorcycle that I owned at the time. And so I wanted to use it, but because it was a victory, I made the license plate tears the license plate off and you can just see for a moment, it says Vic boss, which <laughs> is what they call solid snake in uh, peace Walker. Oh, nice. So I tried to put in a little, nods like that and uh, I so that's so fun I'm so glad you looked up that address because obviously everything in this movie is an easter egg and, right and uh, you know you can find deeper meaning in it but that's the sort of thing that if you're working on a film and you just got to put an address you can do a shout out to your old theater school or yeah yeah what have you yeah and there's a there's a bill it looks like a bill to the new frontiersman that puts it at I think 722 West 43rd Street um, so I looked okay. that up and it would put the, uh, new frontiersman outside of the, what I figured out was the blast radius okay. of the, of this crater. Oh, good. So it, oh, it did survive, you know, they, you know, they, they put it well on the outskirts of Manhattan, almost, um, on the, the almost up right up against the water on the, on the West side of the, of the Island. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I guess the big question is what what happens next, you know, with uh, with this journal. Do we think that does Seymour pick up the journal and run it and does it get noticed or is this just a newspaper that everyone considers to be full of crap and doesn't regard it as, you know, anything worth paying attention to? So does it undo what what Vite built or does it take bite down? That's that's my big question. Well, I have a theory, but I'll let Eric uh, <laughs> chime in first. Um, you know, as far as the movie goes, you know, I I think I think it's it's just thought of as a you know a, a crackpot theory. You know, it's 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 this, this weird thing that's yeah, it was put in put in print uh, by the New Frontiersmen, but um, you know, not it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't get any traction. You know. Yeah. That's okay. kind of uh, all of that. All of that is yeah. absolutely incorrect. So, um, oh. so when you are, um, so one of the greatest lessons I ever learned as an actor was, you have to choose the hottest choice. What is the hottest mm -hmm. choice? And the hottest choice is that it's and the, the, it's what makes the whole. It's the point of the whole movie that he. He leaves it entirely in Seymour's hands, and Seymour picks up the biggest bombshell story in the history of mankind. It's actually Rorschach's journal. He's right. got he's got a real he's got a real journalistic bombshell, a literal bombshell, and um, and that's the whole point of Dan saying in the previous minute. As long as the world thinks that John is still watching, um, then. Uh, then the world should be safe. But what the journal says is Adrian Veidt was behind it all. He has manufactured this entire crisis and he blows the entire game. Everything that Adrian did is destroyed by Warshak in the end. It's, it's, it's why Warshak exists in the story, that his relentless pursuit of justice is going to topple Adrian's plan forever. And it's and as far as the New Frontiersman goes, it will be the biggest story that they've ever had in their entire lives. Probably creates Fox News out of the New Frontiersman 
because oh, it gives man. them, you know, added legitimacy. Yeah. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, if it doesn't do that, if nobody takes it seriously, there's no point to having that scene. Right. You know, it's um, in the book, you see it. And I don't know if this happens in the movie as well. Um, in the book, you see it get picked up and somebody goes, oh, somebody sent us their journal. And the guy and the editor says, oh, I don't want to hear somebody, some crackpot's life story. Throw it on the crank file. Mm. And you think that all of Warshak's life's work has just been tossed away on the garbage sure. pile. And then in the end, because of Adrian's plan, they've run out of news. <laughs> and so they have no choice but to pick this thing up again and go, oh, hey, what is this? And it's the key to Adrian's destruction. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the whole point. So I, I, let, I don't mean to yell at you, folks. I mean, you're doing a, you're doing a great service here. And, and, and I know that you love Watchmen. But that's the whole point of the movie for me is that Rorschach destroys it all. You know. See, one of the biggest things I then think about, though, is, is how is how uh, Rorschach acted before he died, before he was killed by Manhattan. What do you mean? You know, he, he had he had this urge to get back to civilization out yeah. of Antarctica. Yeah, people must be told. And, and tell the be, story. Yeah. And tell, yeah, it has to be told. Well, and he's already, he's already done that. Though. He has, but he doesn't know. Yeah. So Rorschach didn't know the whole story, right? Right. He only knew yeah, right, he only true. knew that true. Adrian was behind it. He didn't know why. Mm-hmm. So Rorschach feels like I have to get back to just really illustrate mm-hmm. that Adrian um, is behind this whole thing, or that Adrian murdered all of these people, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But what Dan says is, you don't need to do that. All you need to do is expose that Doctor Manhattan wasn't behind it, mm. and Rorschach's already done that. Like Rorschach hasn't quite grasped how to undo Adrian's evil, how to punish him properly. Mm-hmm. He feels he's got to go back and do that himself. He doesn't, re- mm-hmm. he doesn't realize he's already done it. Right. But, but the key... Yeah. Well, and, and, even, and definitely the other characters don't either. Yeah, yeah no, and no, nobody really does. Do. I think but, the, other, but the yeah. key line in the journal mm-hmm. is, whatever the nature of this conspiracy, Adrian mm-hmm. Veidt is behind it all. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and once you've got that, it's over. You know, they yeah. know Dr. Manhattan's not behind it. And, and, um, and they know that the savior of the world is really the guy that murdered millions of people. I mean, the whole thing is just absolutely undone. And he's already done it. He doesn't, you know, Rorschach feels he's failed. The audience thinks he's failed because the book has been thrown on the crank file. It's just kind of gone into the garbage heap of history. And Adrian wins. But in the end, Rorschach wins. And it's, that's what's so mm-hmm. beautiful about it. That's what gives me chills every single time it's yeah. just and and it's it's also what take it's also what unravels the story back to square one sure humanity is mm-hmm. just in exactly the same <laughs> pit of hell that it was on page one and everything adrian did all those lives lost was for nothing yeah. and it's just so tragic and beautiful and punk and you know which is why you know and then desolation row comes in and you're just like yeah, nothing matters. You know, <laughs> the world is hell, and you know, Rorschach was right all along. The, the journal is used as narration. Mm. Yeah, at times yeah, totally. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah. Now we wouldn't think of it as an unreliable narrator, would we? I would think of it as a biased ni- mm. narrator. I mean, yeah. he's telling you. No, he's a he's a detective. Yeah. He's yeah. he's telling you the facts, sure. but his perspective on things is a little skewed. Sure. You know, he's, he's definitely got his own biases and, and, and whatnot. But no, he's telling you what happened with 
the comedian and Moloch and the cancer scare and all yeah. that stuff. I mean, it's a pretty, that's again, if it, if he was an unreliable narrator, it wouldn't be the journalistic scoop of, mm. of the century. Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely um, would give, you know, whoever the government, the police, it, it would give them enough of a, a reason to look into things. You know, it would give them a, yeah. enough reason to look into Adrian and, and it's almost like the steel dossier. What's yeah, that? totally. Yeah. Yeah. The steel <laughs> dossier on Trump. Oh, um, okay. Well, you know what? It also occurs to me now that, that if Dan, so Dan, I don't think ever exposed his identity. Right. Right. Lori, I wouldn't think so. Lori did. The government knows about her, but they don't know about Dan Dryberg. Right. And, and he said, Rorschach specifically says, saw Dryberg with, with Lori recently, an affair, you know, did, yeah. did Dr. Manhattan leave because he was, you know, because his girlfriend was cheating on him or whatever. So he exposes Dryberg's identity. Oh, yeah. So Dan's busy getting Archie all up and running and he doesn't know <laughs> that his whole life is about to be exploded hmm. uh, by his old friend. That's funny. Yeah. Cause in the, in the book, uh, Dan does get exposed because the, the SWAT team shows up at Dan's apartment as they're chasing he and and Rorschach kind of out of oh, the that's right. owl that's right. layer, but they don't really do that here in the movie. There's really no, I mean, no, there's no Lori, there's no exposure of Dan. I don't think. Yeah, so that's that is interesting. That yeah, he would be his life is is gonna be yeah uh, toast. Yeah. So so then my only other thought about the the narration the narrator you know is that we're not seeing. I don't think we're really seeing you know. Everything though, everything everything we're seeing isn't really tied into the narration. I mean, sure. at times, you know, he's narrated. It's 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 not a fully being told mm-hmm. um, from his point of view. Um, but what what I would I would almost be really interested in seeing what if what what an only Rorschach view of the whole situation is. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally, only from his yeah view. yeah. Well, because he is nuts. Sure. Yeah, right. You know. That w- that would play an interesting part as well. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you, but you get that. You get that. You get yeah. that element of it. You know, you you kind of see every th- the whole story from everybody's perspective. Yeah. You know, and that's yeah, right. you know that's what happens in the mm-hmm. books. You go and and the movie does this as well. You go into each of their perspectives of of what's happening, and you get all different facets all fed through the through the eyes of of each character's situation mm-hmm. and it's not until um and you don't really and you haven't really gotten adrian's yet and it's not until dan and rorschach are in the in adrian's office and and dan goes i think i think adrian is behind it all mm-hmm. the, where you find then you get adrian's perspective and he's got the he's of course got the global perspective he, he knows what's going on and and right. um and that's what's so what what makes it such a brilliant detective story you know everybody's looking at different parts of the elephant, but they can't put it together until until Adrian reveals why he's done all this. Yeah, I mean, you really get Rorschach's you know twisted oh, yeah. view on the whole thing. Like his yeah. his whole thing about wanting to punish Moloch because he's he's taking uh, illegal cancer pills made from apricot pits. <laughs> like the guy is yeah. so fascist, you know, and and uh, <laughs> you know so blinded by his desire to fight crime. You know, yeah. from the from his perspective on it, it's it's really messed up and beautiful. Yeah. Any other thoughts or feelings or overriding emotions? <laughs> Anyways, I didn't mean to yell at you guys. I just uh, 
No, no. He clearly misinterpreted the ending and we're wrong on every level. So I wanted to <laughs> put us in her place. Yeah. To, well, I just wanted to make sure you weren't missing out on the greatest element right. of the whole thing. Cause it, because oh, no, yeah. I because I always worried about that. I worry about that with the movie, and I worried about it writing the script that people weren't going to get how mm-hmm. momentous this is. And you know, it's that line: "I leave it entirely in your hands." Yeah, it's like no, the fit, he's talking about the fate of the world, and everything's going to change here. Yeah. You know? Otherwise, what's the point? It's just I a think sloppy some guy. Of the, some of my uh, questions about what happens with this journal have just come over examining the movies, you know, one minute at a time, like, you know, thinking about Rorschach's journal and would people take it seriously if, if they tried to read it, could they read it? You know, it's that sort of thing that just, it starts to to build up as we, as we got to this ending here. So was, that's kind of where those questions came from. Like I, I certainly go through this movie and, uh, and, and definitely prefer thinking about it as, as Rorschach wins and, and evil is punished so let's hope was adrian um, so smarmy i just want to wipe that smile off his face <laughs> that's why i wanted him dead yeah but it didn't happen but he got punched a lot so that was oh good, yeah i guess <laughs> well um let's see do we have any other i guess any other thoughts or yeah, I'm good. it was pretty comprehensive this has been a <laughs> comprehensive yeah. 180 minutes yeah. And I mean, we definitely have the Desolation Row, but uh, I think Eric and I are going to have that playing over these credits for a few minutes. So I, I'll save my notes for that. Um, okay. I'll just say I love My Chemical Romance and Gerard Way, and that cover oh, cool. is just badass. Yeah. I play it in my car and <laughs> reminisce about the time we actually made that goddamn movie. <laughs> it was not easy. Yeah. Well,. Uh, we it it we know that it is uh has a has a big following and and people really do love this movie and i certainly noticed um the tweets that went out for the recent you know watchman tenant 10th anniversary that we just hit like last mm-hmm. week you know there, there's there's plenty of people that are singing the praises of this movie so oh good well, i'm glad some people enjoyed it that was the goal yeah. well david can't thank you enough for joining us on our last uh, few minutes of the movie. Uh, well, thank you for having me. It was really, it was so fun to discuss it. And obviously, obviously you guys, you know, do so much diligence and research on it. And, and it really, it raised a lot of new concepts. You know, that's the beauty of Watchmen is this, it's just endlessly unpackable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and even things that I had written that I didn't fully understand until we <laughs> talked about it. So, so it's really, really been fun. Uh, uh, being on it and, and congratulations on coming to the big climax. Yeah. Um, normally here at the end of the week, I, I'll hit the uh, differences in the script uh, to the screen. There really aren't too many. Um, the only ones that really stand out, Sally walks to, uh, we see Sally walking to Dan's apartment at the beginning, but then it cuts to her inside making a drink when Dan comes up from the basement, she asks him, you know, any bad guys last night? Dan says there are always bad guys, even in today's world. It's really kind of mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I wrote that, but I think I wrote her coming to the door to illustrate that she does not live with them, that she's oh, coming okay. to visit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the, the, the last thing we have here, it, uh, Seymour picks up Rorschach's journal 
It says just about just as he's about to open it, we cut to black. So no mention of uh, voiceover from Rorschach. So I definitely definitely like that uh, that we hear those few opening lines from from Rorschach. Yeah, yeah, so. it really puts a nice pin on it. Yeah, um, David. Okay, so just oh. I was just gonna have David remind everyone where they can yeah. find find David and uh, yeah I. Yeah, I'm on uh, uh, my only social media is Twitter uh, at David B. Hater, and um, you should enjoy that. And I've got a show that I've uh, been writing uh, called Warrior Nun, uh, which should be coming out from Netflix at the end of the year. So check that out. Very cool. Um, yeah, so this has been amazing, David, to uh, talk with you. Well, it's my uh, pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And guys, and, and anybody who appreciates this sort of conversation, come to check my Comic-Con schedules. I'm doing Calgary Fan Expo and Dallas Fan Expo. Um, I'm going to be in Renton, Washington, Syracuse, New York, and possibly possibly in Australia this year, this summer. Um, so if you ever see me at a Comic-Con, come up and let's talk Watchmen. Cool. Okay, so this was uh, Minute 180 uh, in Week 36. We'll be back next week. Week 37 with Minute 181. And until then, who watches the Watchmen? We do. We do. One minute at a time. Watchmen are over. Yeah, thank you.